Hello and welcome to the MBA Talk podcast. I'm your host, Andres, and I work for OPNES, an institute that fosters social and economic development through the promotion of the best management methodologies. Would you leave the comfort of your home in Boston to move to tropical Sao Paulo, even without knowing a word of Portuguese? Well, Parker Tracy was all in for the adventure. He moved to Brazil five years ago and founded Cobly, a startup in fleet management. Parker is from Harvard 2012 class. Keep listening to learn how Parker scaled his first company during his MBA, how was his transition to Brazil, and why Brazil is such an amazing place to be an entrepreneur. Hello, Parker. Where are you located today and uh, where are you from? How do you present yourself? Sure, sure. So I'm originally from, uh, from Boston and I'm calling today from Sao Paulo, where both I've been living here for the better part of five years and my company is based here. So I spend a lot of time here locally in Sao Paulo. Cool. I'm very curious how, how you came here to Brazil. It was behind the a girlfriend or the beaches, the tropical weather? <laughs> Much less exciting ex exciting than that. Um, no, so I'd say 50% of it was certainly just coming down um, due to the adventure, right? Is I'd already started a different company in the United States. This was right after finishing my MBA and saw it as, as my last opportunity to take a really big risk. And I saw that risk of starting a company in a new country, in a new language, in a new culture is it hit a number of things I was trying to optimize at that time in my life. And then also for what I do is I only do automotive and logistics related startups. And Brazil is a very, very, very big world for, uh, for basically anything I'm doing with logistics and automotive. Um, you just big country, massive, huge landmass, lack of a, uh, a rail system and other logistic infrastructural points that we, that we rely on in the United States. Brazil lacks those rents. There's a lot of there's a lot of really cool products that can be launched here uh, locally, and there's very limited competition. So I saw a really, really cool opportunity to start something. Cool. Have you considered other countries? Yes. Yeah, so we're currently active in a few other countries, mostly down here in South America, and also a few countries in Europe. But our vision is to, we want to become the biggest um, fleet management company in Latin America is, is our goal, right? So from a distribution standpoint, we're based in Brazil. The vast majority of our revenue is Brazil today. But our vision is we want to dominate Mexico from Mexico to Argentina. Cool. Okay. Do you have any favorite uh, resource related to entrepreneurship, like a, a website, a book, podcast? So uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. My favorite book, which is definitely a bias from the MBA, is uh, Clayton Christensen's um, Innovative Solution, which is the um, sequel to The Innovative Dilemma. I thought that book more than any other book changed the way I think about strategy and business creation. Other than that, I would say that I follow a number of different VC blogs. I find them all pretty useful. I found, I'd probably say the autobiography I liked the most was Mark Benioff's, um, just because it showed the incredible importance to be both an incredible salesman and showman when getting something off the ground. It certainly wasn't as as academically deep as, as, as a Christian book, but there's just so many interesting tidbits of learning how we thought about solving problems and how we thought about communicating value and stuff like that. Um, so those are certainly two that, that come to top of mind. 
Great, great. Okay, coming back to your story. I see from your LinkedIn uh, profile that you were an entrepreneur before doing your MBA, right? That's correct. So you have a, a bachelor from Duke and you started a company called First Health Financial. Mm -hmm. So uh, do you have always uh, that impulse of uh, being an entrepreneur or uh, that came during uh, your bachelor? Uh, yes, I'd say that in undergrad, I probably didn't have, um, I certainly had a little bit of an impulse, but it certainly wasn't something really profound. It was, as I was coming to the end of college, I'd say that my dad was pushing me quite a bit to start a company. Um, he's someone who had, all, who had always started his own businesses and he, he saw employment as a waste of time from a learning standpoint. And, you know, in your twenties, you're just trying to accelerate learning as, as fast as you could. Um, so he really pushed me to start a biz and that was probably the origin of, of kind of, of how first health financial got started was, was that pushing. And it really started as the research began my senior year, right? So I was committed to it basically at the end of my junior, early senior year, um, where I try to use all the university resources possible. You know, people are really responsive when you email them with a university email address and stuff like that, you know, with a plan to get started the second I graduate. And, uh, Where did you find uh, the idea of starting this company? Sure. So what, what First Help Financial is, is it's an auto finance company. And what our original vision was, we saw a very, very large um, base of clients in the subprime space. And we saw the sophistication that banks and finance companies had for pricing these clients was very low. And so we have a number of different, today we have a number of different types of clients that we, that we target. At the very beginning is we, we wanted to create an amazing loan product for the recent immigrant, typically from Latin America. And so at the very beginning, it was all built around how do we create this amazing product? And it's a product distributed through car dealerships. So we had all the complexity of dealing with channel distribution as well. But all the original um, the seed came from let's create a better product for recent immigrants for automotive. Okay. So from early on, you had this connection with uh, Latin America, right? Yeah. And also with the automotive industry. Yeah, it's, um, I'd say Cobley is certainly a continuation of a lot of themes in my life that were started at First Health Financial. Hmm. Cool. So why you felt the need to go for an MBA? Uh, first of all, I, I think this uh, first company is uh, still active, right? It is. Today, we're, we're the largest independent auto finance company in New England, and we're about the 10th largest in the United States. Oh, cool. So it's profitable and it's going well. What make, made you feel the need to go for an MBA? So the first few years of First Health Financial were, were not very successful years. <laughs> so we, um, you know, at the very beginning, I had a few co-founders. We were trying to figure everything out. It, like literally the, when I graduated, I was a, I was a mathematics major. I, I knew nothing about accounting, for example. And we're literally learning what a balance sheet was and learning how auto finance worked and learning how to become an auto lender from a regulatory standpoint. We're trying to learn a million things all at the same time. We launched in 2007 and then 2008, the subprime crisis hit and we're fundamentally a subprime auto finance company. So fundraising, as you could imagine, was really hard when there was a new bank falling every 48 hours. Um, so we tried to raise money in 2008, 2009. We didn't have any success. Uh, my two co-founders left. At that time, I was left with me and one and a half employees to try to manage the, the loan portfolio that we currently had on our books. And what I did to try to hedge my bets was apply to an MBA. 
uh, applied to Harvard. Uh, I got in. Luckily, it's it was a few miles from from our office. And the irony is, right when I was about to start Harvard in 2010, we get a check for 10 million dollars from Wells Fargo. Hmm. So right as I started the MBA, we we get a huge influx of cash. From the start of the MBA, I probably went from five employees to about 40 wow. in that time. And then since then, we've raised about 150 million dollars. And we have a team of about 150 employees and two offices. So we've scaled quite a bit since that MBA. But the reason I really did is I was trying to hedge my bets. I really had no idea what the future held. The company was in a very difficult situation as the world seemed, seemed like it was ending at the time. And so that was the original reason that I did it. But I also want to know I, know, I know an incredible amount about the auto finance world. And I knew very little about the rest of the world. Because we're a very, very focused team on on creating creating value for that end client through an auto finance product. So it's also I, I wanted to broaden my horizons. I wanted to meet a lot of new people. And as the company became more and more profitable, I also realized that I wanted to take on a new adventure before life catches up with you and your appetite for risk goes to zero. Um, and so I very much use it as a, you know, as as a platform through which I could insert myself into Brazil. <laughs> right, right. What your dad thought about that? Because you said he he was against your education. He preferred you to keep uh, building companies, right? No, he wasn't against the MBA. Um, I, I think the the MBA at the time made made sense in in, in a number of different ways. Um, and I think both parents are pretty pretty proud of of the risks and successes I've had. But I mean, obviously, most parents all parents always wanting to come back, <laughs> come back to where you're from, right? So it's <laughs> both uh, pride and conflict are kind of the mixed emotions there. Right. And how how you were able to to balance the MBA life with the with the growing of your company? Because I imagine that would be a very hard time for you. Yeah, it, it was tough. It was um, we just gotten a lot of money. And so hired really capable people to do the core, the core processes. And it was really during the MBA, I became more of a board member and a strategic advisor. Obviously, I still did a lot operationally. Mm-hmm. And then for the next few years after the MBA, I was still very involved operationally. But um, yeah, my challenge, instead of me being a core operative, my challenge really became a people operations challenge of how do we put the, you know, the really high capacity people into the right roles in order to scale the business. Cool. And uh, what were the resources from school that you took advantage from? Well, so I'd say the biggest source I took advantage of was mainly I, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to go down to Brazil. Um, for self financial, we deal with we have a ton, we have ten thousand uh, Brazilian clients in our portfolio and about fifty Brazilian employees, right? And so I'd always had a strange connection to the country, even though I'd I'd only visited a few times. Um, I'd say the biggest thing is that. People respond to your email when you email them from a student email address. And so I emailed every single person, especially in the automotive industry, during that time. And lots of people responded to me, and I did a lot of really cool things. Um, so I, I'd say I used, I used the network and the brand that a place like Harvard Business School gives to you to really pave the path. And I, I don't want to undermine the learning because I, I did think it was one of the coolest educational environments I've ever been in. Um, and certainly not the people too. It's like, man, I, two thirds of my best friends um, certainly are, are MBA friends, right? Um, yeah, I'd say those are the biggest things that I, I use is use the network and the brand to pave my way to figure out how to get to Brazil and then what to do once I got there. Is there anyone you want to do a shout out? Any people that 
influenced you in this path? You mean pushed me more towards want, wanting to start a company in, in Brazil or? Yeah, or that helped or that gave you some insight or changed the way you, you see entrepreneurship or a, a professor at Harvard you like? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think the most impactful professor, it sounds it sounds a little generic, but is was Clayton Christensen it was, was the best professor I ever had at HBS. It, it was the only class that truly changed how he thought about strategy. And it was a class where you basically go through his book, right? So I, I think that was probably, that was definitely the most academically impactful. Um, other than that, I had some really awesome professors like Aldo uh, Muzakio, um, who's kind of the Latin American guy who's really helpful of just context and how to think about it. And then a number of different friends who were both, you know, you basically try to, through your network, fill in a lot of the gaps in knowledge. Like it's some people really understood how to capitalize business or really understood how to distribute the product or really understood how to build technology and different friends who kind of filled those gaps in knowledge that they had at the time. Mm -hmm. Looking back, I think uh, you would have done the MBA again. You have chosen to do the MBA again, right? Yeah. I mean, assuming my context was, was the same, it's uh, absolutely, it was, it's, it was one of the most memorable experiences of my life. And it really did help me a lot when I, when I got down to Brazil, it was, it was a perfect tool that I was looking, that I was looking for. And really I got, I think more value out of it than I think almost anyone I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so you ended your MBA and you just flew to Brazil. Tell me how, how the transition occurred. Sure. So I actually didn't get down to Brazil until 2014. So almost two years after graduating, just because there's a lot of administration and, and just uh, legally opening up a business. And so I got down in 2014, really knew very few people, just kind of a small network from the NBA. And so it was about, hey, how do I meet people? How do I basically, how do I accelerate the learning curve? So I understand what, what I want to do as quickly as possible. Uh, pretty quickly, I kind of saw the vision of, I think, Vehicle connectivity um, is something that will be will be ubiquitous within the next decade, right? Whereas you look at Latin America, ninety percent of cars have no connectivity. I'm speaking more specifically about commercial vehicles, so vehicle fleets and stuff like that. And so as I basically looked at it as guys, I think there's the combination of amazing technical talent in Brazil and then a massive untapped market. And so let's create the most scalable product that can take advantage of a market that someone will take advantage of us let's 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 be that someone but what's what's the main product you have at cobly yeah so we, we do what's called fleet management mm -hmm. so it's an iot system an internet of things system where you put a basic sensor into the vehicle that sensor collects a bunch of different data like location movement vehicle diagnostics the data is sent through the cellular net, cellular network we then collect the data in our databases and do a bunch of different analytics to create, to turn that data into intelligence for fleet manager. So that intelligence can be things like routing and dispatch. So how do I plan my routes better and communicate that to drivers? It can have something to do with cost control and compliance. How do I manage my drivers better to make sure they're, they're within compliance? How do I measure the total cost of ownership of the vehicle? And then finally, is we, we, we're a data grid that, that enables fleets to share their data with third parties, right? So it will be, how do I share the estimated time of arrival with, with my customers? So instead of a million different phone calls, I can just see exactly when the car will arrive in real time. Um, and then all the way to how your vehicles drive is we'll release an API for you to send that to different commercial insurance companies so you can get bids of, of insurance in real time without having to go through the old school network of 
a broker and tons of phone calls, et cetera, is we have all the data that we have all your driving data, you know, exactly your risk in real time. How about you just send that data to, to insurance companies to facilitate what is a high friction transaction? Mm. So the third part is really how do you, how do you create an API to, to send your data to other parties so that the consumption of goods and services becomes much more simple? Other things like fuel cards, vehicle acquisition and, dis- and distribution as well. Did the idea came from something you saw in the United States or this was just uh, something you, you realized here in Brazil? So the core idea of, of vehicle connectivity and fleet management is, is not a new to the world idea. So we just saw that there are no sophisticated players doing this in Latin America. Let's create a sophisticated solution and then become really, really good at distribution. Right? So on that level, we're not reinventing the wheel. The way that we see our vision is a little bit different than the vision of other fleet management companies is that we very much view of what we're creating is we're fundamentally digitizing an offline world. Like vehicles are an offline world, and we're trying to turn them into an online world. And by doing that is that once everything's digital is that if you can share that data with other parties to facilitate communication or facilitate the transaction of, of insurance or other services, everybody's better off. And so the long-term vision outside of just being an best fleet management tool in Latin America is that we very much see as us being a data grid through which a number of different companies will, will want to use this data to power either their core services or the distribution of their services or products and fundamentally help communication between all the different players in the supply chain. Cool. Cool. Are you profitable today? No, we're, we're not profitable today. It's, it has not been a focus of ours. So we are We've both raised a bunch of money. We intend to raise more money in the future. And right now, growth is much more important than, uh, than a focus on profitability. Right. But obviously, we don't, we don't, lose, we don't lose focus of unit economics and, and the financials ever. But like I said, our, our, our focus is growth and scale more than it is um, profitability right now. And uh, how were your first year here in Brazil? What were your expectations? And uh, did you have a plan B? A backup plan? Yeah, so I mean, the, the first year in Brazil, I, I had no employees and no company, and I was just still trying to figure out how to do basics, like how do I rent an apartment and get a phone, get a, <laughs> you know, a cell phone and do all this basic stuff. So there's certainly a lot of cultural friction just because my communication was much more limited than it is today, and I knew nobody and, and just dealing with all of that. So the first year was... The first year was really fun, but it was obviously everything you did was really high friction because you didn't understand how the system works. My Portuguese was pretty limited. And so it was very much just about discovery and figuring everything out. But uh, I, I enjoy those types of challenges. So it wasn't something I look back on with disdain or anything like that. Cool, cool. Okay, so um, you, you said, okay, yeah, of course, profit for a startup growth is much more important than profit at this stage. Is that going well up to expectations? What do you expect for these or next year? Sure. So we, um, as a company, we're, we, we launched two years ago. So we've, we've two years of operation. Um, our team is about to hit the 100-person headcount mark. And um, I, I can't give you revenue numbers, but we're yeah. in the multiple millions of dollars of revenue. And so we're really excited about the growth that we've currently had. We'd like to, in the next, I'll just say in the next two years, is... Um, we anticipate our headcount getting to about 400, 400 people wow. and our revenue multiplying by about 10x. 
Um, so we're, we're very excited about the opportunity that lays ahead of us. Do you see other opportunities here in Brazil that other MBAs can take advantage from? Yeah, it's, I, I think the, the difference between entrepreneurs... So first, I, I think Brazil is an amazing place to open a company from a number of different standpoints. Specifically, it's really inexpensive to launch a company, right? Hiring a really, a really high-quality team is a fraction of the cost of what it is in the United States. Uh, so that in itself is a big opportunity. I mean, we're in the sixth biggest uh, economy in the world, and everything is like being in the United States like 15 or 20 years ago. Hmm. Right? So as long as, you, as long as you choose an industry that doesn't already have really sophisticated competitors, like don't start a ride-hailing company, for example, I think the opportunities are really big all around. The, the caveats I would say, though, is when starting a company in Brazil, you want to, be, you want to have a, an idea that is, for lack of a better term, less revolutionary. Right, because Brazil lacks basic stuff. It's so far behind what it is in the United States, and so I think launching fundamentally very basic models that are powered by technology, so that you can scale at a good pace and raise raise enough money to do so. But it's obviously it's solving more, much more basic problems. I think especially if you have access to capital and you're a good operator, and you have a decently long time frame. If your time horizon in Brazil is 10 years, and like I said, you have access to capital and you're a solid operator, it's really hard to miss. Right, because it's competition will not kill you. What might kill you is running out of money or operating badly, et cetera. And so, as long as you can hedge those risks away, I think it's a really amazing place to start a business. Cool, very cool insight. Did you have other ideas while here? Yeah, I mean, I, I never, I, I have, <laughs> I have a lot of different ideas for Brazil. But um, I mean, for me personally, no, we're very focused on, on what we're doing. Um, and I think one of the biggest challenges is. When there's so much cool stuff around, staying focused is, is one of your biggest challenges. And your ability to deploy capital in a highly focused and highly measured way is the, different, is the difference between being highly successful and being, and being a failure, right? And so it's, there's a lot of things that get me very excited about Brazil, but man, focus is everything. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, if you want to share anything, like, for example, an MBA that's recently graduated in the United States that wants to follow a similar path than yours, uh, is there any topic you see here, this trending here in Brazil? I mean, what are industries I think are ripe for disruption? Or... Right, right. Yeah, so uh, I mean, an industry that we, that we deal with peripherally is insurance. I think the insurance space from top to bottom has incredible opportunities, incredible. I think the way insurance is distributed, and I'm, literally I'm generalizing, every type of insurance. The way insurance is distributed is incredibly antiquated. The way it's priced is incredibly antiquated. The way it's operated from a claim standpoint is incredibly antiquated. And even the way insurance is managed from a balance sheet standpoint is incredibly antiquated. Hmm. The downside is there's big barriers to enter because you're dealing with a highly regulated world and usually one that's reasonably capital intensive, but not incredibly capital intensive. And then the other downside to insurance is that it's a very idiosyncratic world and Typically, having some sort of insurance background helps a lot, right? Because there's weird cultures built, built into the system. There's, there's weird alliances that don't make sense from the outside. There's a lot of things that are very confusing about it. But as long as someone has the patience to take all those apart, focus very carefully on what your MVP is going to be, and then have the ability to have the showmanship and the ability to sell a dream to raise capital to do so, I see it's another another part of the market here that it's, it would be very hard to miss if you have a decently long-term time horizon. Cool, cool. Very interesting. 
Okay, so uh, I I enjoyed very much talking to you. Do you have any parting thoughts, any advice you'd like to give to aspiring MBA entrepreneurs? Um, nothing super specific. I mean, I'm obviously very, very pro-Brazil um, and pro-Latin America in general, right? I, 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 I think the next 20 years of emerging markets is going to be really fascinating next 20 years. So I don't know. I'd, I'd probably say I think MBAs are probably excessively risk averse and I'd probably say push them to be less less risk averse would probably be my only uh my only feedback I think that now that I'm what six almost seven years removed from the MBA I think the biggest regrets people have around me is typically that they didn't take enough risks I think there's some incredibly powerful minds that have that have done amazing things but I still think they have sub-optimized the value that they have sitting on their shoulders. Um, so I'd, I'd say that would be my biggest criticism of, of MBAs and my biggest feedback of what not to do when leaving one. Cool, cool. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best channel? Um, happy to share my email address. That's probably the easiest channel. Okay, Parker, thank you very much. I thank you, you took the time and uh, yeah, good luck with the Cobli. Awesome, Andres, appreciate it. Thank you for joining for this episode of the MBA Talk podcast, a podcast brought to you by Opnis Institute. You can find all notes for this episode, as well as subscribe for future episodes at opnis.com slash MBA talk. That's O-P-T-N-E-S-S.com slash MBA talk. And if you are enjoying the show or have any comments, topics, or guest suggestions, I'd love if you shoot me an email. My name is Andres, and you can write me to mbatalk at opness.com. With that, thank you, and we'll see you in the next episode.